Welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air and online. It's the same thing for all practical purposes. It all comes with the click of a mouse as opposed to the flick of a radio dial. And when you click that mouse on the first, no, I'm sorry, on the second link at our homepage, and that's at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. The second link on that homepage takes you to what we call our radio loop. And that is a constantly streamed, live streamed, if you will. Actually, it's got about a, I timed this out, it was about a seven or an eight second delay between the sound that I can hear on the source computer running the show in a loop. We have software up on that computer that just keeps the show running and running, and it's designed to literally broadcast from that computer. <clears throat> it broadcasts in the sense that there's a, well, I should have a, I should have a hard cable going from that to the modem. At the moment, I have, I have a, um, it's the Wi-Fi, so it is kind of broadcasted in a way. But uh, it, it is being broadcast to my modem, and from there, goodness knows how it gets to whatever server it gets to somewhere in the universe, somewhere on the internet, by whatever means necessary, via whatever nodes, whatever, whatever hard turns to the left, right, up, down, in whatever dimension, and ultimately finds its way to any internet-enabled device that you may have, and all you have to do is basically uh, go to www.centerlefttalkradio.com, hit the second link, and you'll listen to the show as it's being played on the computer that I'm looking at right now, except that you'll just hear it about eight or nine seconds after I hear it, if I happen to turn it on here in the studio. Now, that'll all be irrelevant once this show is recorded. Obviously, as I'm doing it, I'm doing it live. I better be. But eventually, at the point that you actually listen to it, it will be a recorded show. The other way of listening to us, of course, is via our podcast feed. How do you get there? Uh, well, the same, the same route, the same road signs, the same, the same gravel and or paved roads, the same set of tires, maybe even a, you know, levitated device of some sort, I don't know. But it gets you to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio.com, and the first link is our podcast feed. You may be listening to us that way. Or you may be listening to us via wherever or however you access podcasts. In that case, wherever you happen to be, look for Center Left Radio. Uh, the, the world hasn't Let's see, I'd like to be able to start off sort of by saying the world hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, it, it is. It, it's changing constantly. 
then, you know, I'll look for a, a platitude. Let's see, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Okay, that's, that's an easy one to kind of schluff out there. What, the, change that, the changes that I'm most aware of, and this is, and it's nice not to have to just talk about this in political terms for a change. We'll, we'll get to that at some point. But uh, overnight here, and let, let, let me let me let me set this. Let me set up where I am. And okay, I'm in. I'm in at the center point of Westchester County, New York. It is the 19th of April, and uh, the sky is uh, well. The sky is brightening. I don't know that it's going to be a clear day just right now. There was a massive amount of rain overnight. Not not in in sheer quantity, but in the, at the pace at which it fell. And more than that, uh, the fact that it came on the heels of rainstorms that we've had. There was one as recently as 10 days ago, massive rainstorm. And local roads that do tend to flood around here are flooding more than I can remember them ever flooding before. There's there's one area of the Sawmill River Parkway um, near the exit, uh, the Dobbs Ferry exit, and that would be Ardsley Road. Okay, and uh, the, uh, the ten let's say maybe it, it can't be ten days ago. It just can't even be that long. Uh, there's a there's a walking path. We have we have tons of really nice walking areas through wooded areas along along uh, streams and rivers uh, through uh, through uh, state parks, uh, the Rockefeller Preserve around here, the Aqueduct Trail. We've got some some beautiful beautiful stuff. Not to mention the Hudson River itself is is right down there. I mean I'm I'm looking at well it's kind of a foggy morning out there on the Hudson, but uh, if, I, if the fog had lifted, I would be able to see it right now. The, the, uh, the leaves have not, uh, the, the trees have not grown their leaves large enough yet that the view will be blocked as it is from, let's say, late April through, um, you know, October, November, when the leaves finally start to really come down in earnest. So uh, it's six months of, of beautiful views of the Hudson with sunsets to boot and six months of uh, not so much uh, great views, but living in a beautiful canopy of, uh, of, of, of old trees and leaves around here. And the, um, the flooding that took place last night uh, basically was in the same location, well, of, of, of the many locations where there was flooding last night. And this is the surprising part. There, there have been locations on local roads around here where flooding has taken place whenever there had been heavy rains. And I can remember those locations uh, always getting flooding. And this goes back decades. I've, I've lived in this area uh, very much my whole life. And there are points on the Bronxford Parkway where this happens. There are some points on the Sawmill River further south, or no, sorry, further north on the Sawmill River. But this particular flooding area near Ardsley, Ardsley Road. 
that wasn't one of the flooding areas that I remember. And it flooded 10 days ago, and it flooded last night. Once again, that part of the road is shut down, as well as the normally flooded areas of the roads around here. Now, the way things tend to work, there will be some kind of a drainage over the course of the day, but this is a new flooding zone. And another flooding zone was added yesterday, and, and, and a very unusual one. Uh, the point where the, the road coming off the George Washington Bridge, if, if you head in a straight direction coming into New York off of the George Washington Bridge, you hit one of the worst roads in the country, possibly the planet. It's called the Cross Bronx Expressway. Uh, it is typically one of the most crowded uh, roads. There have been talk over decades of, of maybe finding a way to add a second level to it, but uh, do something to relieve the congestion on this road. And it's nearly a 24-hour situation. It, it was getting bad, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. It's horrific at this point. Well, the point where the Cross Bronx Expressway, which is just off the edge of the George Washington Bridge, that's going east and west. Well, this north and south, the main north and south road is the New York State Thruway. At that point, it's not called the Thruway. It's, well, I'm getting far too into the weeds over here. But it's the intersection of, a, of two major roads in New York City. Well, that intersection flooded. And it, it doesn't flood. It's never flooded. One of the, one of the, one of the, uh, the uh, rather consoling thoughts about New York, uh, for me, has been that there are areas, or there are roads you can just pretty much always count on. One of those being the thruway, the New York State thruway. Uh, it, it, it doesn't become known as the thruway until it gets out of, until it crosses the New York City boundary. You have to think of it as a main north-south feeder coming into, coming from the north, feeding into New York City itself. And then it comes back up and it stays within New York State. And eventually it swings to the west at one point when you get to Albany and heads out to Buffalo. And uh, then it continues otherwise going north. And you could take it, you can take it from, from a mile from my house, get on that road, never leave it, and find yourself at the Canadian border in about, oh, I don't know, uh, six hours, five and a half hours, depending on how fast you feel like driving on your way to Montreal. That flooded, that intersection. And according to what I'm hearing from the meteorologists that will talk about these things on air, once you get a flooding situation, it will continue to flood and the flooding will only get worse. Now, this is brand new stuff. And we haven't seen new flooding zones around here. I haven't witnessed new flooding zones around here in decades. And it, 
need I need I need I say it? This this is this is global warming. Is it is it just? I mean, how, how about how about we just call it? climate change how about how about we make it human neutral we make it mankind input neutral we simply say the weather is getting more severe the wind events that accompany rainstorms are becoming more severe there was a wind event that accompanied the rainstorm 10 days ago that created this new flooding zone up around here. And it, we were fortunate exactly where I am that it did not cause a power outage. It, there was a power outage less than two weeks before that when trees came down and these are 70 and 80 year old trees and they're basically uh, still hanging above or they're, they're soaring above power lines that are carrying all of the electricity in the area. Uh, state of the art, uh, you know, uh, uh, telegraph uh, technology. You know, you, you, could have, you could have seen the exact same technology working in about, oh, 1830, 1832. That's exactly what you would have seen. Poles above the prairie or wherever carrying uh, lines, insulated lines that were carrying electric signals. 200 years 200-year-old technology. That's what we're still counting on here. We, we, and we talk as though climate change, we politicize it. it. It is a totally politicized thing. No, it's not mankind. It's going to change anyway. So we really, the conclusion being, at least among those, and unfortunately too often among, on both sides, whether I argue that it's a man-made change or just a natural cycle of stuff, and it's, it's to some extent a little bit of both, but a hell of a lot more. The science and the research says it's a hell of a lot more man-made stuff when you start doing carbon cores and stuff like that and drilling down in the Arctic and looking at what the carbon dioxide and other, and other gases of that sort, what, how the buildup has taken place, and especially uh, since the Industrial Revolution of the 19th century and on and on and on and on. Yes, it's mankind that's putting this stuff into the atmosphere. You keep getting uh, storylines about how long we can go before we have to drop by how many degrees Celsius in the atmosphere before it gets to the point where uh, southern Manhattan will be permanently underwater and on and on. And, and Miami and Miami beachfront property will all be in the, uh, in, in, in the Atlantic Ocean at that and on and on and on. And we talk about this and it goes and it never seems as though stuff gets done even if there are even if there are people and forces in play who politically would be in favor of actually doing the changes making the changes happen the one place where you might be getting some of that is in the automobile industry where uh where you are getting a, a larger number of electric cars coming out. But the, the cafe standards 
for automobiles. The, the amount of mileage that, that, that gas-powered cars need to get is still at absurdly low levels, even compared to the Europeans. And the power that electric cars need in order to operate is still largely generated by fossil fuel plants. So that if I have to, in order to power my electric car, if I have to produce more electricity, well then all I'm doing is, is moving the fossil fuel consumption from individual vehicles to power plants that are obviously going to have to produce more. Now, right now, the number of electric vehicles on the road is substantial. It's, 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 is it insignificant? No, there's, there's a bunch of them, but certainly it's not making a dent. Certainly the oil industry is finding every way to keep less electric cars out there. It's a quiet struggle. But of course, the, the, the tax incentives and all of the government support for the oil industry, it's all still there. We're finding ourselves as a, as a reaction to the raised gas prices that are coming from the lack of Russian oil availability. Uh, suddenly, uh, even the Democratic administration is talking about allowing increased fracking on government lands. There's... There's, there's too much play on both sides of all this. And, 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 and it, it leads me to think about yet another interesting thing going on. When we try to solve something like climate change, when we, when we go through the discussions and the debates we almost instantly find ourselves at political odds, okay? We, the, the, the distance from what would otherwise, what should be, I would imagine, appropriately, a scientific debate to political posturing, to, to retreating to political corners is remarkably quick and short. The distance is nothing. We, the arguments are so there already. And, and the expression of those arguments has been so regular over so long a period of time that it's almost reflexively that rather than continue a discussion to the point of producing or defining workable solutions, even just, I mean, it's strategically we all want to, we want, we want to prevent the worst of what climate change does. But getting to the point of, of, of a tactical statement, a, a workable tactical uh, process that can prevent the worst of what climate change is, we, we seem to stop there. We, we don't seem to be able to get to that point because these, th there is this reflexive retreat to the rhetorical. Rhetorical being the realm of the internet. Rhetorical being the realm of social media. We are so accustomed to bullshitting ourselves 
about what it is we believe or don't believe. We are so used to speaking through our positions, to laying them out for publication or debate or anything else. But 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 in this in this place where the verbalization or the 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 cartooning, the balderization of positions is enough in itself. It's an end in itself. That seems to be where we are largely these days. That the end point of anything that might begin as a serious discussion about a point of contention, and I'm talking about climate change here, it will more often than not end in a internet, social media type series of positions and statements and just give people a better or another opportunity to stake out with greater uh, staking force their positions, but not really necessarily leading to anything like an action list, a, a tactical statement of what needs to be done arriving even this this is even true i think often uh, with the people who would otherwise uh, actually have the common sense to understand that science really has to rule here it becomes we we've really gotten to a, a situation where our ability to present an argument and to have it accepted and received, and to therefore see some kind of a political reaction to it, that, that seems to be, that seems to suffice far more than it should uh, on all sides. It, it, it's, a, it, it's an upsetting situation because when you stop and think about it, you're not doing anything. You're just... You're flapping your lips, you're, you're, you're moving your fingers, you're, you're, you're re-cementing positions, you're, you're, you're hardening the, the mental bunkers in which people exist, but nothing's being changed. Now, like I say, I, 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 give, I give it to the left to at least have the capacity to imagine necessary change. The Republicans basically are living in this reflective world where they basically find nothing more important to do with their lives than to stop whatever is happening on the other side. And again, that can all happen in a rhetorical framework. Nothing is getting done. The Democrats would have to do it and the Republicans claim victory for simply standing up and giving the Democrats a hard time. And their, and their, and their supporters, their sycophants, say, yeah, that's, that's really all we demand of you. You're appealing to my emotional needs, but the specifics, the, the actuals of anything are basically just being overlooked because they're not necessary. No, all we really need to do is, is, is to stake out our positions and, and to be on one side of an issue or another. And, uh, well, you know, but what happens if something goes wrong? Well, I'm not worried about that. I care about if my people get elected. And, well, what if your people are Republican and then they do nothing? Well, I don't, you know, we, we won. Thank you.
there's there's an there's an interesting um, uh, extension of this thought, and I've heard it expressed uh, several times when I've heard different people talking about the uh, the the Ukrainian uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And when you talk about uh, military activity, well, actually, when you talk about corporate activity, it's, it's customary, has been customary for, for decades, especially in the corporate world. I, I've never been in the military world. I've had family members who have been. I've had discussions about this. But I could, I could, I could extend this to the corporate world. You talk about strategies and tactics, Okay, you, you talk about goals, organizational goals, organizational directives, uh, high-end uh, high uh, positions, uh, and, and where we want to go. Strategically, where are we trying to put our organization? These are the high-end statements uh, that we are, that, that are put out by armies, I would think that the Russian army in attacking Ukraine had a strategic goal of apparently uh, of, of replacing the current government and then putting in one of their own. Strategically, it made perfect sense for a number of reasons that are all high-level reasons, most of them having to do with Vladimir Putin's ego and his position within the Russian government. Things, no one thought out what the other things might be. Well, that, on the tactical level, you would begin thinking about how to get this, how to get this accomplished. Tactics would also have to take into account dealing with the counter effects of not doing so well. You would have to have tactics in place that would deal with contingencies, things not working, how things might go wrong, what would we do if we don't. Now, if your strategic goal is rational and reasonable, Chances are there, there will always have to be tactical concerns about what to do if we don't move in the direction we're going. There have to be, there have to be alternatives to, what our, to, to the, the most direct route to our strategic goals. But if you choose well what your overall goals are, that shouldn't be the case. And, and, and usually... Conversations about strategy and tactics are, are kind of as far as it goes. And people, uh, people in, in government, in, in military, in, 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 corporate, in corporate settings, the people you hear from, the ones that seem the most important, the ones that make it, the ones that seem to be making the most money, the ones that are way up there, these are the strategic people, the, the, the people at the top with the big, big vision. This is where you seem to see all the money being flooded in, and it's all, the same all over. Then there are the tacticians, the people who work out the steps that have to take place in order for something to happen, and they seem less important. We, we are far more concerned with seeing big picture stuff. But you see, there's a third level, and this is the same in 
in, in, be it in government, be it in, in military, be it in corporate environments. And it's the one that you hear the least about all the time, except uh, you hear this word again and again, and you've heard it again and again in one particular uh, ad. And the, the ad was for, I think it was for UPS, for United Parcel Service, was that it? I think they had this ad that was out there. And the, and the ad was a series, it, it, was, it was a campaign, a TV campaign, I think they may have run it in other media also. And they kept stressing logistics. Do you remember hearing that? They kept talking about what it takes in order to get anything done. And, and they, never, they never said that strategy was less important or tactics were less important. Yes, you need some kind of a road map. That's the combination of an overarching strategy and, and a tactical plan. But if you don't have the practical means to make that plan work, if I say I over the course of I, I, I'm, uh, our company will grow, we have our, our strategic goal is to be positioned against our major competitors uh, within the next uh, 18 months. That is our goal. We will basically take we want and we want to, we want to go from our current 12% uh, of the market to 30% uh, of the market in 18 months. That is our strategic goal. Wonderful. Our tactical goal. We are going to uh, enter markets in China, and we're going to go here, and we're going to go there, blah, 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 and we're going to basically insert ourselves in. Blah, blah. Oh, that's great too. Wonderful tactical plan. That's great. How the hell are you going to make that happen? Well, we just we, here's the plan. D don't. Well, here's the look. Look, you, you know you know how long it took and how many people we we had we had you know how many consultants it took to put this plan together. You know how much we paid for this plan? Yeah, now, how is it? Okay, let's all go home. Let's all take off for a month. Let's all congratulate ourselves. Now, and when we come back, let's see how far the plan has gone towards implementation. What? Yeah, you see, you see, plans, nothing, very few things are self-implementing, especially in the realm of politics, government, and military. You need people at the logistical level to make things happen. And, and, and that may not be a, a popular sort of a, a thing because, because that involves boots on the ground, hands in the dirt, grunt work quite often. How am I going to make this happen? How does what I do accomplish any one tactical uh, bullet point and how does it get done so that it, it melds with, it is complementary to, it's supportive of the other tactical bullet points. And collectively, all of us who are logistically assigned the responsibility for getting the tactics to work, 
We all are working off the same page and we're all basically moving towards the same strategic goal. How does all of that happen? It happens hard. It's, it's a harder thing to do. You got to get down to the individual steps. You have to get down to individual finite goals. You have to have a review process. This, this is the... This is the ultimate statement of where, of, of, of how any given business or government or, or military organization or, or anything, political party, ultimately gauges its own success or reaches its strategic goals. It has to be able to execute. And it executes by taking things down to the most minute level. It, it makes it happen. And it's where the boots on the ground thing go. And, and there has to be a constant uh, uh, review that, that takes the activity, the tactical, the, the logistical activity. How does that logistical activity basically uh, fulfill the tactical uh, bullet point? How does the tactical bullet point remain within the overall strategy of the organization, the government, the army, and so on? You look at what's happening in, in Ukraine. Uh, Admiral uh, Stravidis, uh, was, I, I caught him on, uh, on MSNBC a couple of days ago. I think he was on, was he on again this morning? He might have been briefly. I caught him this morning briefly. And talking about the, the utter failure of the Russian army in the west of, of Ukraine in their, in their sick, brutal efforts to just do whatever they, whatever they, their, their, their strategic goals were insane we're going to basically take Ukraine back into Russia. We, this, is, this, is, this is Putin's fantasy. That was the strategy. The tactics were, well, we're just going to go and we'll head out, we'll head out to uh, Kiev and, and we'll basically, uh, the, the government will fall, the people will embrace us, we'll install our own puppet government, and, uh, and that'll be fine. And Ukraine will once again, will, will historically be reunited with Holy Mother Russia and the, uh, and the Russian Orthodox Church will bless the Union, etc., etc., and, uh, and I, Vladimir, will be... Uh, Vladimir Putin will be, you know, will be praised and honored and in power forever and ever, et cetera, et cetera. None of that worked that way. The Russian army really got kicked. They, they, they did a horrible set of things to the local population, but they got their asses kicked roughly, and they lost their, their main battleship uh, uh, on the Black Sea. The, the Moskova uh, went under. It was hit by Ukrainian uh, missiles, most probably supplied by the United States, possibly through the, the vehicle of some other NATO nation. This is not execution of a strategic plan, of, a, of, a, of the tactical elements of a strategic vision. You, you, you don't, that, that, that's, not, that's not doing it well. So that even if this thing were worked out to a tactical level, where, it, well, we first go in, we, we come out, and we, we, we start by keeping them focused in the east for a while. We destroy the town of Mariupol, and we basically, um, you know, kill, kill a whole bunch of people and, 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 and knock out 90% of the, of, the of the buildings in the, in the town, and we starve people to death. 
That's a great idea. Yeah, let's do that. Meanwhile, we'll go up to uh, Kiev and we'll basically uh, at the same time bring our tanks in and blow. Well, the strategy is, strategic notion is disgusting. It's not realistic. The tactical plan, if there ever was one, beside just make the strategy happen, failed miserably. And now they're out in the east, uh, in the Donbras region, region uh, dropping bunker bombs, uh, you know, bunker buster bombs and whatever the hell they think they're going to do to make that happen. And it remains to be seen if they've learned anything from their strategic tactical and logistical failures in the West. Now, Russia has a much bigger army than Ukraine has, far more resources. Just pure numbers give them an advantage in all of this. They can keep this up a lot longer because they just have the numbers. But we're getting the first little signs, first little signs that this, this recent campaign of, of shutting down all but state media. I remember I, 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 there used to be a, every, every day, uh, Keir Smith? Uh, Smith was a British reporter working with uh, MSNBC. And every day, every day, even as Ukraine was being invaded, and he had done this for months, for years, he would appear on a he would appear at some uh, on on some standard location overlooking a major highway in Moscow and there's the Kremlin in the background traffic going back and forth and he would get on air and he would report live what was going on with no apparent uh, concern about being uh, filtered or, or censored for anything he was saying about the outright problems that were being experienced by the Russians and, and conflicts within their ruling group, et cetera, et cetera. This was going on as recently as a little over a month ago. And all of, Keir Simmons, I'm sorry, that's his name. And all of a sudden, he's gone. And he doesn't show up anymore. Now, I, I imagine he's, I hope he's back in the States or wherever he is, but he's certainly not reporting from Moscow anymore. Why? Because, well, it's become a crime to even suggest that what Moscow is doing is a war. It is a special military action to suggest that it's losing or to suggest that what they're doing is inappropriate. Well, that's, that will technically get you in prison. And there are some people who've challenged it. But then again, we're not hearing a lot about what is actually happening. I'm sure, I'm sure our intelligence agencies know what's going on. I'm sure we can tap in to whatever media information the Russian people are getting. And largely, they're just getting one side. And when you get one side of anything, you might believe it. But what happened recently, I think, is an indication of where there could be a shift coming up. And, and how these things can't go, and how a lack of, 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 uh, of good planning, a, a lack of logistical execution, just it will catch up with anyone. Uh, there was, uh, there's been uh, talk that we've heard 
and, and this is on the street in Moscow. This is, this is some more information coming through our intelligence sources. That people are very concerned about what happened to this Russian flagship, the Moskova, that was, that was sunk in the Black Sea by Ukrainian missiles. The, 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 the Russians tried to say that, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. It was, uh, there was a fire on board. Munitions blew up on board. It sank itself, which is even stupider, which is ridiculous that that could happen. But in any event, we have confirmed, NATO has confirmed, and I believe this, I have no reason not to, and that, that this was the result of, uh, of two missiles fired by the Ukrainians at this ship, obviously carefully guided missiles, smart missiles, smart bombs, and uh, blew the thing up, got it on fire, and it sank to the sea while it was being towed back, supposedly being towed back to some port for, uh, for correction. Questions start rising. Where are the soldiers? Where are the sailors? One particular story that's making the rounds in the American press, and again, these things can be manufactured, but I don't think they are, and I'll tell you why. Some mother asking, my 19-year-old son, uh, he was a conscript. He was, he was drafted to go into the Navy. He was never told where he was going to be, where he was going. We haven't heard a word. He was on the Moskova. We haven't heard a word since the ship went down. We assume he's dead, but there's been no identification, nothing whatsoever from the government. Now, then we have, and they, they, we have this, and we have the imagery off of Russian television. In order to counter all this, there is a a, a parade, if you will, or actually a, a it almost it's, a, it's sort of a group shot, a group photograph of the brave sailors of the Moskova. There's only one problem. The full complement, according to the, and this is live video, they're, but they're just standing there. No one seems particularly happy. They're doing what they're being told to do. The full complement of people there is less than 100. That's what they're showing. Problem. The number of people, and we don't have the exact number from the Russian military. There's certain secrets, obviously. But we, we can estimate from the size of our own ships, from the nature of what the ship does, we know everything else we need to know about it, basically. There should be over 500 people. So once again, the Russians, in an effort to basically whitewash something, are revealing that there's 400 people missing, give or take. Among them, presumably, this woman's son. Execution. Logistics. Making something, having a strategically appropriate goal to work towards in the first place. Now, again, I, I'm not suggesting that the Russians aren't in a position to make things exceedingly difficult for the Ukrainians for the foreseeable future. But they've gone all in on the Putin notion of things. And they've done it with probably the, the least amount of practical, realistic information that they've ever had in going, that we can see with any major conflict. And they bit off more than they could chew, 
and the sheer the sheer numbers and 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 force of their equipment just being thrown at any one location you could do it in one you could do it in Aleppo I suppose you could do, you could bomb the hell out of a city from the air and claim a a logistical tactical and strategic victory of some ugly sorts but you can't take over a country bigger than the state of Texas with that kind of half-assed preparation. And, and, I'm, and I'm simply, again, ju just to, to pull this back, I'm looking at everything that we as a nation are doing. I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't have the right to retreat into different corners and we shouldn't have political freedom and we shouldn't be able to yell and scream and jump up and down. But there's a point, there's a point where if we don't get past this sense that just the posturing is enough, where there are things of such magnitude and import like climate change and protecting ourselves against the worst of it. If we just have it in our mind that imaging for purposes of public consumption via the internet, via, via social media, if that is the endpoint and we lose this notion of of, of, of tactical execution via effective logistical activity, if we don't remember that that's where it all, where it all comes down to, that, that this, is, this is the only way you ever affect a strategy, short of luck, short of the, the, the odds being so much in your favor that the other side, if it's, if it's a conflict situation or, or a competitive situation, there's no way we can lose. Even if we stumble and fall and do things stupidly, we're so overpowering, we're just going to win anyway. Maybe that's kind of the information that was being given to Putin. Maybe this is what and I'm going to extend this. Maybe this is what Republicans might be thinking right now about the midterm elections. You know, we've gone ahead and we've, we've done, we've gerrymandered districts as much as we need to. And we've, and we've gotten laws passed in all the different states that say that, you know, you can't vote. Here's who can't vote. And, well, that's it. We've done, and, and most importantly, we've got the red meat base excited by the fact they're, they're pleased with us. They'll come out and vote for us. And then you walk away. And while you walk away, you basically don't keep track of who is challenging it, where it's going in different courts, how much is going on on the ground to basically get out Democratic support. You don't, you don't track uh, the challenges being uh, thrown up against the various redistricting, the gerrymandering situations. You don't really want to pay a lot of attention to that. These are logistical things. It, it, that's not, your, your base doesn't want to see how you're poorly executed effort to do something or to get their support is being challenged and in many, many instances being knocked down. Now, I am of the belief that the Democrats still have an opportunity to hold on to both the House and the Senate. And this, again, common knowledge, uh, traditional knowledge. 
a president who gets elected and has both the House and the Senate will probably lose one or both in the first midterm election. This is standard American political wisdom. But the implications of that right now in an era where Republican politics dominate Republican action, Republican planning, Republican logistics, and I'm talking about political and, 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 and governance logistics where there are none, where the imagery of what we are supersedes all else. That's, that's dangerous. And if the Republicans take both the House and the Senate, it will make it that much easier to allow someone like a Trump to come in. He'll probably do something stupid. He'll probably, if we can hold on to the House and the Senate, you can bet your life it'll be because Trump has done something stupid in terms of supporting the wrong candidates or opening up his mouth or screwing something up. This, he's famous for this. The Georgia situation, the very fact that the Democrats have the Senate right now is a testament to the stupidity of Donald. But then again, Donald's stupidity is what endears him, his, his ballsiness, his, his absolute mindless pursuit of his own ends, yeah, and, and, and his ends being, you know, merging with that whole sense of, uh, of racial animus and, 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 and prejudice and everything else and all the, and the lying and the, and it's all mine and the government, the, well, who the hell cares? The country's already gone to hell. We're just in a salvage operation anyway. The great American wastelands, all of this crap. None of this is logistical. Certainly not towards meeting a goal of, well, if, 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 the, if the Republicans could create a strategic goal that involved governing the country, none of that would be in its favor. It, it's only, it only appeals to a strategic goal of being in power, not having any particular nation-oriented goals. The only goal is to be in power, therefore... The nature of the, of, the, of the tactical plan is simply to hurt the other side because the strategy, the strategy, the strategy reflects the fact that there is not sufficient support. If, if you wanted to have a realistic strategy for the Republicans, if it was to be a country-oriented strategy, an America, a truly America first, a truly let's support America, what you would have to do as part of the strategy, there'd be a, a pre-strategy. And the, and the first level of strategy would be, we want to get support for the Republican positions from the American people. Why? Because the overarching strategy would be the preservation of the American democratic liberal democratic system, the preservation of the Constitution. That would be the overarching strategy necessary to allow whatever other tactics might be planned, whatever sub-strategic levels and goals might be in there. But doing what is best for America and positioning America best within the world and preserving it for, from, for generations and generations to come, keeping it climactically and, and, and ecologically functional. If, if anyone were thinking along those lines, 
the tactics and the logistics would be utterly different. And they wouldn't be satisfactory if the base basically goes, yeah, and gives a growl when they basically feel this emotional surge, even if it's only scratching their fears and their anxieties. That wouldn't be the end point. But you see, that's what it is right now. And this is concerning, to say the least. I don't know. I have no, I have no, uh, I have no, no highfalutin uh, suggestions about how to change that. I, I know that we can, uh, as, as, as people on the left or center left, where I consider myself, and all the way to the far left, we can create basically strategies that are designed to preserve the best of what the country is. Then tactically work out what the steps need to be. Then logistically make this stuff happen. But, but if, if there's a constant sense from the not-so-loyal opposition that their only goal is to basically defeat anything that the other side does because they've gotten their own base convinced that defeating anything that those damn libs and Biden, that communist, whatever they do, that is sufficient. If that suffices as both the strategy, the tactic, and the ultimate, and whatever gets you there, whatever the logistics need to be, if that's the end point, then that point is nowhere. Because if no one is minding the shop on the survival of the system within which that could happen. Read the constitutional, the constitutional system of the United States. If that becomes subordinated, well, a lot could go wrong. I, I'm counting on one thing more than anything else. At the very fact that we can be this stupid legally in America will ultimately force us to see the errors of our way and allow us or compel those of us with the, the means and the rational capacity to do so to move in the right direction. You couldn't do that in an autocracy. An autocracy, the ones that are out there, when they make mistakes, oh, they make mistakes. And the only way out of it is either they go and they make bigger mistakes and keep the people from reacting to their first mistakes, or they get thrown out of power and all hell breaks loose and things get nuts all over again. There's no, there's no give in the system. There's no, there's no, there, there, there's no stretch room. There's, there's, no, there's no way to learn. You can't learn. America can, for all of its problems, we can still learn. And we can still change stuff. We can, we can react and, and, and realize this is ridiculous. We, 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 the system still says we can do that. But there's a point where the stultification, where the, where the, 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 the congealing, the, the, the hardening of the edges, and so much of this has to do with the fact that success is falsely perceived as 
as a as 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 how many hits and how many and how many responses you're getting off of social media. If that that that's becoming an end goal, that that's becoming strategic in and of itself. You can allow that to go that way for just so long. We've got to be thinking in terms of what makes America continue. We're not doing that right now. Certainly, certainly not publicly, certainly not uh, institutionally. Yes, Joe Biden and the Democrats are going in that. They, yes, that's that to the, the always to the credit of the Democrats. That's how it's spoken. But but on a practical implication, on a practical implementation level, not so much. Not so much. We've got to get more focused on keeping this democracy around. Otherwise, there'll be no reason to basically do anything to keep it around. Anything that we do will be based strictly on power, and when it's power versus power, eventually all, everything is off the table in terms of constitutional restraints. You put, you put Donald Trump in the mix, he will lose, and all hell, and all hell breaks loose. We... We've, we've talked about this. Logistics. Logistics. How do we make, how do the Democrats make their best ideas actually happen? How do we get the, the country to focus on the significance of keeping the country at its best? How do we get people to understand what democracy actually is, why we have a democracy, why we need to protect it. How do we wean people from the hyper-simplistic but so easily gotten to notion that if it looks good in social media, that's all I have to do? And that's why too many people are dumbed down, really dumbed down in this country. Are there enough people who understand that? Can we and will we change in sufficient time? I, I'm, I'm positive we still have time to do this. I'm positive. But do we have the wisdom and the will? Hmm. <laughs> ah. A little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make Center Left Radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident and as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Center Left Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. We live in a time where watching something play out well in social media, on the internet, supersedes anything else, any actual achievement. It's the perception is all we seem to be living for. If we lose track of what America is and why it needs to be protected, we'll stop doing those things that are needed to sustain it. Not a good idea.